welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Almighty God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have come and put on human flesh and have shared our human experience with us. And we celebrate that supremely this day at your baptism, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that those of us this morning who are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, that you would have mercy on us. And in our weakened state, Lord, grant us encouragement through the preaching of the gospel. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, at Christ Church, um, we have the uh, liturgical season police. And if you do not celebrate, I mean celebrate, party for the entire 12 days of Christmas. It starts on the 25th. Somebody told us uh, it was right before Christmas. It wasn't even the 24th yet. And uh, it was one of my folks in my family said, oh, another Christmas come and gone. And I said, what are you talking about? We start on the evening. In fact, we stretch it out as far as we we can. We start on the the evening, the 24th, and we are diligent to celebrate for 12 days. And then we have another celebration on the 6th. That would be the 13th day. That's Epiphany. Oh, but that's not nearly enough. There's actually another celebration, and that's today, the baptism of the Lord. But by this time, some of us have gone into celebration overload, and we're just not ready for another celebrating Sunday. Well, stay in the game just a little while longer. Um, we, we, we need to remember that the early church saw uh, January 6th, not January 25th, but actually January 6th, about for the first 300 years of the early church, January 6th was the primary Christian holiday apart from Easter. The biggest celebration of the year was Easter, but January the 6th was the Theophany Feast. And on that, oh yeah, they had a word for it. That's right, because they're Christians. You get the secret decoder ring in the box that comes with Christianity. And uh, I'll, I'll decode it for you in just a minute. But there was the Theophany Feast. And at the Theophany Feast, the early church celebrated the way that God had manifest Himself supremely in the Bible. And the first way was at the birth of Jesus, the nativity. So Jesus, God putting on human flesh, the incarnation, Jesus coming among us. The second way was the coming of the wise men from the east, the Magi, and God revealed himself in the persons of those wise men to the Gentile nations. So God reveals himself there. And then finally, that that celebration encompassed Jesus' baptism at the Jordan, because we're going to see in just a minute how God fully reveals himself at the baptism of Jesus. And so all three of those things were going on on January 6th, and somewhere along the line we said, that is way too much, let's just have three different holidays. And so that's what we've done. You know, in his baptism, this day is so significant, because in his baptism, Jesus identifies with us, with humanity, in a profound way. All of us who follow Christ follow him in the footsteps of his baptism. Jesus has been baptized just like us. So the person and ministry of Jesus revealed... Okay, this is, these are kind of critical points to follow along. The person and ministry of Jesus that are revealed in his baptism flow over into our lives. They carry over into our lives. We're united to Christ 
in our baptism. Jesus becomes like us by being baptized, and we become like Jesus also through holy baptism. So here's what I want us to do in this sermon this morning. I want to examine what is being revealed. We say this is the theophany, the revealing here. We want to see what is being revealed about God by means, by way of the baptism of Jesus. And then I want to make a direct application, sort of as we go through these points, to our lives as uh, for those of us who are baptized followers of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see uh, God's nature, His uh, self-revelation in the baptism of Jesus, and then we're going to apply those things to our lives as baptized followers of Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, in the, this feast was called in the early church, and it is still called in the Eastern Orthodox Church, this feast is called the Theophany Feast. And we usually use a term like epiphany, but they called it theophany. Because theophany, theophany literally means the shining forth of God, the shining forth of God. So the, re, the revelation of God, that's what we're celebrating in this feast. So God is revealed to us, His being shines forth, His true nature is manifest in the baptism of Jesus. So what are we seeing about God's nature here? Well, the very first thing we see about the character of God is that God is willing to empty Himself out of love for His human creation. Now, again, we have a word for this. It comes actually in Philippians. We'll look at that in just a moment. But this self-emptying of God is called kenosis. Kenosis. These are You might want to write that down. Kenosis. Use it in, in the next party you go to. You know, God has uh, expressed His love for us through kenosis, and you're going to be the smartest person there. But this self-emptying love is kenosis. Jesus pours Himself out. He empties Himself of His preexistent glory, His majesty, and power when He identifies with sinful humanity through this baptism. Because who's going to John to be baptized? People were going to John to be baptized for the repentance of their sins. So Jesus is identifying with a sinful, broken humanity. And by identifying with his fallen human creation, Jesus Christ is actually taking his first step towards the cross, right? Because on the cross, Jesus fully embraces the he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.17, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the very first step on the way to the cross is at the Jordan River when he was baptized by John. And he identifies himself with our experience of death in his baptism because he's identifying with our sinfulness in baptism. Now, I told you that kenosis word is important. And it really does reveal the character of God to us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it says this, Have this same mind, have this same attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who even though he was in, the very, who was in very nature God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but here it is, but pour himself out but made himself nothing, but emptied himself, kenosis, taking on the form of a servant and being found in human likeness. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that is happening here in John's baptism at the Jordan River. That's what Jesus is doing. We see God's willingness to empty himself on our behalf. 
Now, why is that important? I mean, how does that even apply? Well, it's because that it is this, it, in this demonstration of the humility of Christ, this, this willingness to go as low as he needs to go in order to bring us to God, we see something about the living God. And what do we see? Over and over in, in Scripture, what's revealed about the almighty, glorious God, the one in whose glory we could, we would just, uh, we would melt like wax if we were to stand before him unprepared. That God chiefly expressed himself among us. This is crazy. Through humility. This whole feast has been about humility. Is it Jesus wrapped up in, like I said on Christmas Eve, like a burrito in swaddling clothes and put in a feed trough. Jesus in a little house in Bethlehem. And nobody came to see him but those three kings who came from the east. Nobody else was realizing what was going on. Jesus identifying himself in humility with us at his baptism. The author of life himself submitted himself to death so that we could live and never die. And when we are baptized, we take upon ourselves that humility. That becomes a part of our life as well. In baptism, we are poured out just as Jesus poured himself out for us. We are inviting God to rank us with the lowly. We are saying to God, I no longer want to have things my way. I want to have them your way. I'm going to die to my old way of life so that I can live a new way of life that is filled with your character. Paul tries to explain it in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, listen, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, a life marked by humility. Now somebody has said when we die, when we physically die, we are just catching up with our baptism. That's what's going on when we do a baptism. We are dying to the old way of life and preparing for a new way of life. A good friend of mine, Paul Stallsworth, years ago, uh, we, we practice infant baptism here. That's, uh, you want to talk about that sometime? Be glad to tell you why we do that. Uh, we think it's an amazing example of God's grace, but we understand there are different views within the whole household of God. But Paul was baptizing this beautiful little infant, this, this little girl, and as he held her in his arms, as he was preparing to pour the waters of baptism over her, he began to talk about, how you are being brought to this place to be united to Christ in his death. You're being buried with Christ in baptism. You are dying, little girl, at baptism. Well, after the service, his, uh, the parents and I think the grandparents came to him and, and they were in, the technical term is, a swivet. They were in a swivet. They said, how dare you take a cute ceremony? Oh, really cute? Uh, a cute ceremony and turn it into something about death. And Paul said, did you not know that when you brought this, even after all our counseling, that when you brought this child here, she was going to be put to death in the waters of baptism so that she could live the new life in Christ. We, we actually visually represent that. At Christ Church, when we baptize somebody, we have, we have a holy horse trough outside. We use that too. We put big people in that. But we've got the, uh, the, the mega font over here, the great big baptismal font. And when we baptize a little baby in that font, what we'll do is we'll put the font out front and pour a lot of water in it so they get really wet. They're soaked. 
uh, because they, they get immersed. And, uh, and then we take that baptismal candle, that, I mean that Paschal candle, the, the Easter candle, and we stick it right by that baptismal font. It represents the light and life of Christ. And so that candle is burning right beside the font. On the day they put you in the ground, if you are buried here through Christ church, at your coffin, that candle will be burning. And we'll be saying, you are catching up with your baptism, and one day you're fully going to catch up when you're raised to new life in the resurrection. You won't need a candle then. It's going to be amazing. We're dying to our old lives and beginning a new life in Christ. And we need to expand on that comment I made a little bit earlier. It really does go back to this theme of humility. Jesus willingly identifies himself with the fallen human condition in his baptism. He did not need John's baptism for the redemption of sin. He had no sin to be redeemed of. Instead, he receives baptism to say, I am one, I am one with your suffering and with your brokenness. I will share your condition and I will bear the cross that you deserve. Christ's willingness to be like us has a life transforming. If we really were to understand His willingness to identify with us, it would transform our lives. And I've seen people's lives transformed by it. I'm reminded of the late C. Kilmer Myers, Bishop Myers, who used to tell the story of Emma. Some of you have heard me tell this before. She was a survivor of the Holocaust and who regularly at 4 p.m. every day came to stand outside of his church in the Lower East Side of Manhattan and scream imprecations against Jesus. And finally, Kim, that was his nickname, uh, Bishop Kilmer Myers, finally Kim went down to the street and she, he said to Emma, said, why don't you just go inside and tell him? And so she did. She went inside to have it out with Jesus. And, and in that church, evidently, they didn't just have a, a cross. They had a, a cross with the, with the body of Jesus on the cross represented. We call that a crucifix. And, and so she was gone for about an hour. And he, she didn't come back out. And Kilmer was listening for, for her, and he didn't hear her moving around. So he went into the, into the nave, into the worship area, and he found her lying prostrate on her face on the floor in front of the cross. And she was utterly still, and he reached over and he touched her shoulder. And she looked up at him with tears in her eyes, and she said, after all, he was a Jew as well. After all, he was a Jew as well. It, his willingness to identify with her suffering broke her heart. He willingly took upon himself our weakness when he should have been clothed in majesty. But redemption, and this is a mystery. This is, this is one of the core mysteries of Christianity. Our redemption does not flow from God's majesty, but from His lowliness. The power of salvation was unleashed through selfless, suffering love, not pomp and splendor. And once we realize how much Jesus was willing to make Himself one of us, just as with Emma, it breaks our rebel hearts in two. Here is the application. This is where it comes together. God's power and blessing rest only on those who will humble themselves just as their baptized Lord Jesus humbled Himself. God's power and blessing rest only on the humble. 
Now, I want you to know, uh, I, I, I wish I'd thought about this. I think the Lord maybe convicted me. I don't know about this but in the, before I preached this, or after I preached this, basically the same message in the first service. And uh, what the Lord reminded me was there's actually two kinds of a lack of humility. There's two kinds of pride. There is the kind of pride that comes when we feel like um, uh, when we feel like we're being looked down on. Uh, when we feel like, I mean, if it doesn't, we don't identify this. This is really important. Listen, we don't identify this in our mind as pride, but we get our feelings hurt when we feel like we've been overlooked or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Or where we don't feel like we got the recognition we deserve. That's, but it doesn't feel like pride, does it? It sounds like, oh, you're feeling kind of, you know, like you're pitiful. <laughs> you're having a pity party, right? The only reason that hurts, oh, I got to tell you, I'm an expert. The only reason that hurts is because we are proud enough to think we deserve better. We are proud enough to think we deserve better. That's why we get, listen, again, I, I, I hate to use all these technical terms, but that's why we get butt hurt. So if we can't be wrong, the other way, by the way, the other type of, of arrogance is what we recognize as pride. It's like, you know, just be, it's the, uh, it's the kind of uh, cockiness uh, or, or uh, self-satisfaction that we easily associate with pride. It's kind of like, I don't know, being a 17-year-old athletic guy. So if we can't be wrong, if we can't stand correction, if we can't receive instruction, if we can't admit our ignorance, if we have to be the smartest person in the room, if we can't bear not having things our way, if we have to be in control, if we have to have our ego constantly stroked, if we think we have to have the spotlight, if we believe that we are a part or should be a part of the elite in crowd, then we have a serious spiritual problem, and we're very far away from experiencing the power and blessing of God. In fact, if those things were not something we were struggling with and dealing with and repenting of, if these things were dominating our lives in an unrepentant way, at that point, we should be willing to question our salvation. You see, the baptism of Jesus also reveals His, our Lord's unique relationship with God, but this also flows over into our life. In this this unique relationship with God is demonstrated in the whole, that whole theophany theme of self-revelation. In his baptism, all three persons of the one undivided God, the Holy Trinity, are revealed together in one moment. That, this is actually the exclamation point of God's shining forth, his theophany. Listen again to Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. We heard it read by Father David this morning. Now when all the people were baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the... Listen, here we have Jesus. The heavens are open, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. Who calls someone a son? A father. And with you I am well pleased. So we have 
The Son is baptized. The Spirit is present in bodily form as a dove. The Father speaks from heaven. God demonstrates in this mystery that in the unity of the Godhead, and here it is, here's comes, here comes the, uh, we're, we're approaching the application here. There is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal of one divine essence, homoousios. Here's the application to your life and my life. In our baptism, we are by default, if we are baptized in the name of the triune God, the one God who eternally exists as a united community, one God in three persons, we are therefore likewise brought into a community. We cannot live our Christian lives as Lone Ranger Christians. There is no such thing as a freelance Christian. We have to have community. And moreover, in Christ's baptism, God reveals His delight, His special favor on Jesus. Likewise, in our baptism, in your baptism, we're marked as God's own sons and daughters, though obviously not in the same way Jesus is the unique, eternal Son of God, but we are marked as God's adopted sons and daughters. And what God says of Jesus Christ, He says of us when we are joined with Christ in baptism. So what did He say? What did the Father speak from heaven over His Son? You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here is what God speaks over you. And by the way, those of us who may have a little of perfectionistic uh, tendency, those of us who have a very vocal inner parent, that narrative of the parent disapproving, perfectionistic parent running in the background, uh, you need to forgive mom and dad for that. Uh, but that, 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 you know, where you, where, you, where you feel that disapproval or that you need to apply yourself. Did you get told that? I got told that growing up. And I really didn't understand. Sandy? That's my nickname. Sandy, you need to apply yourself. I don't know what that means. I think it means try harder. And I, so if we hear that over and over again, you know what we, you know what we feel inside? We feel, uh, we feel the obligation to be, uh, to, to do our duty. We feel, we feel the obligation to try hard, to work hard, uh, to, to improve constantly. We feel a lot of things, but what we do not feel is you are my child whom I love. With you, I am delighted. And God sovereignly and objectively declares that over us in our baptism. You, so we have a point in time that we can go back to and put our finger on that day of our baptism. Maybe you were a little bit of bitty baby, Maybe you got baptized when you were eight years old because your friends did. Hmm. Maybe you got baptized after you came to faith in Christ. But whenever it was, there is an objective moment in your life as a baptized follower of Jesus where you can get, where you can claim it. I am his beloved child whom he loves. And with me, he is well pleased. And Lord knows we need to hear that. He has not altered from that. He is faithful to the covenant He has made with you in your baptism. 
He never backs away from that. Even though we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God loves us with such a gracious, gracious love. He loves us so much. When we are adopted into God's family, when we receive Christ and offer our lives completely to him, Christ identifies with us in his baptism so that we can be identified with Christ in our baptism. Now, I want you to know that if you need to be refreshed in what God did for you at your baptism, if you need to hear that word of life spoken over you again, you are my child whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. You're still one of mine. You still belong to me. You're my precious one. If you were the only person in the world, I'd have still gone to the cross for you. If you need to hear that again, wouldn't it be nice if somehow God provided a way for us to do that that was as objective and real as getting wet in baptism? Oh, wait a second, there is. And it happens right there. Baptized Christians. Listen to me. When you come to the Lord's table and you take in your hands the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, you drink that blood and you eat that flesh that He's laid down for us, be reminded of His everlasting love for you. He never gives up on you. You renew in that moment the covenant that was made for you at baptism as well. All that grace just comes pouring over you again. That's That word of life gets spoken over you again. And you need to hear it. We need to hear it this morning. You are my child whom I love. I am plum tickled with you. I am so glad that I don't have to go through the Christian life bootstrapping myself, reminding myself of that, that he wants to remind me of that here at this table. It doesn't matter. I don't care. If you, if you are a baptized, born-again follower of Jesus, you do not have to be. If you are in the Baskin-Robbins ice cream flavor section of what flavor Christian you are, you don't have to be the Anglican flavor. You are welcome at this table. This is the family table. You're part of our family already. We're a part of your family. <laughs> You're stuck with us. We want you to come, baptized, born-again follower of Jesus Christ, and hear that word of life spoken to you, over you, and into you again in the sacrament of Holy Communion. Remember your baptism and be thankful. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.